Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yeah. How you doing? Uh, well, let's uh, let's lay something on the table. It's, okay. Uh, it's episode 110. It's inappropriate, David. Okay. Laying something on the table. That's... Uh, no, thank you. <laughs> um... It's episode 110. Indeed. I, I'm sorry, I couldn't, like, yes end right. with you there. That's I have okay. no idea where you were going. Um, You're talking about exposing your... You know, it's fine. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, I, I'm not going to lay anything like that on the table. Okay, I appreciate um, it. Yeah, every 10 episodes, as listeners know, we do a, an artist profile. You know, yep. a, a director, an actor, a cinematographer, a costume designer, uh, what have you. Um, and that's not going to change for episode 110, but there is... Uh, a new twist to this episode. That's right. Uh, we have a guest to talk about this. Uh, to talk talk about our artist with us. That's right. And uh, our guest is uh, actor comedian Paul Rust. Hello. How's it going, Paul? Good. How are you guys doing? Good. It's good to be here. Now, of course, someday we may wind up doing a profile of you. I'm surprised you haven't already. <laughs> well, you know what? You got a lot of stuff on the internet, and uh, maybe someday. I've built um, up an oeuvre, but uh, of my own aesthetic, know. which is. Uh, lo-fi, nothing, low-tech value. That, those are my internet videos. You don't need high-tech for, <laughs> for the humor to shine through. No, That's no, the way no, I look yeah, at yeah, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but, uh, but yes, yeah, you know, uh, let's just say it. Your star is on the rise. <laughs> you know, it's going to be very, it's very exciting. Yeah. We're, we're grabbing <laughs> we, hold we, of we those coattails. We got you here at an apartment in North Hollywood mere weeks before you will no longer be able to, you'll be exactly. too good to come to an apartment in North Hollywood. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> well, I'm very happy to be here. I, I don't think that's true. I'll be begging you guys <laughs> to let me back to watch. So anyway, let, let's, let's talk about the, uh, the summer you have coming up. That's right. Yeah. Um, um well, uh, I'm in two movies that are coming out this summer. Right. Uh, this movie, I Love You, Beth Cooper, right. uh, comes out on July 10th. And then on August 21st is uh, Inglorious Bastards. Now, how did you... Uh, well, let's talk about uh, I Love You, Beth Cooper first. That is based... It's based on a book, right? Correct. Uh, one by that I've heard is actually pretty good. Yeah, uh, but by I uh, this it. guy, Larry Doyle, who is a writer for The Simpsons and... Uh, right. Beavis and Butthead, and oh, okay. uh, yeah, now, yeah, isn't yeah. the story? I could be this could be a totally apocryphal, but that he wrote a script, couldn't sell it, then wrote a book based on the script. Yeah, and I, then yeah, I sold read that, that somewhere too, but I've never talked to Larry to find out if that was was true or not. You know what? I think he might have actually told me that that yeah. he wrote he wrote it as a screenplay first and couldn't sell it, so then it was like, oh, write it as a book. And the book's hilarious. It's actually a really really mm-hmm. great book. Um, really really funny and. Um, interestingly written too i mean it's it's sort of like an homage to um i think basically what he was trying to do was get every element in every 80s like teen movie uh-huh. and, and get it all into the book and uh he pulls it off it's actually really really funny but it's not it's not a it's not a spoof it's not not another teen no movie. it's more kind of like um uh even though like wet hot american summer is much more absurdist yeah mm-hmm. you know how like wet hot isn't ever like specifically one movie that right. they're spoofing or even right. like specific scenes it's just kind of that feel it's basically what Larry's doing, although it's not it's not as zany as yeah. Wet Hot. And yeah. you, you of course, play Beth Cooper, am I right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I went through extensive uh, blonde hair uh, <laughs> treatment. That was That's all, the only thing I do is I have blonde hair, and it's short. <laughs> it really doesn't pull it off, guys. <laughs> Nobody's going to be convinced that I'm Beth Cooper. Uh, no, I play the, uh, the, the nerd who loves Beth Cooper. His name's right. Dennis Cooperman. Right. You guys, Cooperman... Cooper, get it? Their their name, their last names are together. So he's Simpatico. already been behind her in class and oh, fallen right. in love with I her, see. and she didn't know who she was. He was, 
So on his valedictorian address, he professes his love for I love you, Beth Cooper. That's where the title comes from. Yeah. And then it kind of becomes an like um, after hours, uh, like a high school set after hours where it's like a guy who's sort of uptight meets a wild woman. She takes him out for the night and kind of shows him. It's one of those, um, you know, those high school movies, the graduation night, mm-hmm. one night out right. sort of thing. So it's it's I got to see it a couple months ago. It's actually uh very fun, very entertaining, and really funny movie. So I'm excited. And it was directed by Chris Columbus. Correct. Right? Yeah. So now I would, we have a lot of hardcore film nerds who listen to the show, and Chris Columbus doesn't always get the best reputation. Yeah. Which I don't think is necessarily fair because mm-hmm. I actually like, I mean, A, he wrote Gremlins. Yeah. So well, yeah. that's what I said. <laughs> when I went in and auditioned for the first time, he was there. <coughs> and when I got done with the audition, I talked to a friend about it, and I was like, well, regardless if I get this or not, however the audition turns out, I got to meet the guy who wrote Gremlins today. And that's <laughs> yeah. like what matters to me. I Gremlins was the movie that I like geeked, geeked, geeked out with, with Chris. Yeah. Like I was constantly like asking questions about, <laughs> about Gremlins, what he thought of the sequel, you know, getting down in the, in the oh, what did he good. think of the sequel? Cause I'm going to go out and say it right now. As I've said on the show before, I actually prefer Gremlins too, to the Do first you? one. You know, it's funny. I used to, uh-huh. And then I rewatched it again a couple of years ago, and I was like, I like the first one because, uh, I don't know, like, I have um, a thing with, like, I love horror movies, but when they become right. kind of, like, aware of themselves as a horror movie, it mm. kind of loses its fun for me for some reason. So I, I like Gremlins kind of being more of a... Yeah, but I, I definitely understand the appeal. of Gremlins I think it's just too. a matter of taste because I'm a huge Joe Dante fan, and Gremlins Two feels more Joe Dante. Oh, totally, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I love Joe Dante too, and I, it makes me happy to know that like he got to make Gremlins too. <laughs> you know what I <laughs> yeah. mean? Like and have fun with it. But uh, but Chris is. I do feel like um, he he should get more credit. I mean, honestly, like Home Alone, I think is like one of the great like comedies of the '90s because if you go back and rewatch it, like. Every scene has something really funny happen in it. Characters yeah. are really well written, and uh, the last like thirty minutes is just this like insane like madcap comedy. I I really Home Alone is like a really funny comedy to me. So like it was it was great because Chris hadn't made a comedy since um, I think like nine months. So it'd been like nearly fifteen years since wow. he made one. So uh, I know he was really excited to get back and. Yeah. Do comedies again. Uh, he also gets a, a bad rap for the first two Harry Potter movies, which I definitely don't think is fair. It's kind of a shame because so many people, they, my, myself included, I prefer the the later films. Uh, but just as a function of the direction the story goes and the direction the characters go, it is a little bit more adult. The first ones is a little. The first two are a little more. Uh, family friendly and why shouldn't they be because they're about, about 11 kids. and 12 year olds yeah right yeah. right. And the books are written that way right yeah. I haven't read them but I mean I, the kind of arc is that they start more childlike and get more intense yeah. Or, yeah. so when, when Alfonso, Alfonso Cuaron came along and made Prisoner of Azkaban which is great mm-hmm. yeah. but people all of a sudden people even critics who had like liked the first two Harry Potter movies are suddenly like oh thank god we got a real director and I think yeah, that was really I don't unfair. think that's fair and Chris produced like the third one you know yeah. what I mean he was there like on the set every day so I think mm. certainly he was giving his input the th- main thing I don't think he gets credit for with the Harry Potter movies is like he established like the look of those movies yeah. you yeah. know like a template that's still being used mm-hmm. in the movies today is like based on stuff that he created so I think that's like Hopefully, history will like look back on that as like, oh, he was the guy who like chose the look of the movie and how the the actors who are playing them, you know, which is great casting. So, so uh, yeah, 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 we, yeah, 
We, yeah, we, I just got you on the show so I could uh, <laughs> have a soapbox for defending Chris Columbus. No, I, 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 um, I feel the same way. I get bummed out when people, um, when I hear people, yeah, like slag on him and stuff because I think like he's actually and he's a super inventive guy. I mean, that was like the coolest thing, like shooting the movie with him was he was constantly like coming up with like um he was just an idea guy basically like just constantly coming up with gags and like ways of shooting stuff and like um just a source of sort of like creativity and that's the most impressive thing about him in my opinion <laughs> well sh- should we move on to the other movie you have yeah, coming out this yeah, summer let's talk about it talk about how you well, how did you get the role in Inglorious Bastards and what what can you say about it what sort of role is it oh yeah um well i'm uh, I play uh, Private Andy Kagan, and uh, I'm one of one of the Inglorious Bastards. Right. Uh, so that's a team of Jewish American soldiers who uh, go over to Germany to hunt down and scalp Nazis. Which, <laughs> so I got to uh, take scalping, like uh, did a scalping workshop to like. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty cool. Like got to like do the makeup effect of like how to sell like perfectly peeling off the scalp from the head. And, um, that was incredible. Do they offer that workshop to people that like aren't actors? It was a seminar yeah. at the YMCA. <laughs> Anybody can take it. Saturdays one to four. Uh, uh, no, well I got it because, um, I, my agent just, uh, Quentin was meeting with different actors and, um, my agent asked me if I'd be interested. I was like, oh, of course. That would be yeah. amazing. So I went in and met with Quentin, and I didn't actually even audition. I didn't, like, prepare a scene like you usually do an audition. It was just, like, him meeting with people. And, mm-hmm. um, and uh, it was uh, it was awesome. I mean, it was just like he's uh, – we talked for, like, 20 minutes. We talked about the movie some, but we mainly just talked about movie. It was like this, basically. <laughs> and uh, we both – talked about uh italian horror movies that that was our main thing and it was funny because the thing that got me into italian horror movies was um i saw the beyond uh when i was in college and uh as i'm telling him this i realize he's the guy who got the beyond re-released in america (laughs) so like the reason i saw it in college was because of him and as i'm saying this i'm like oh right (laughs) you're you're the guy (laughs) and uh so i mean it's cool to like be talking to him and realizing that like as you're talking to him the the way the reason you like stuff is because of him mm-hmm. or the way you talk about like i look i've seen like every interview like quentin tarantino's done mm-hmm. and i love how he talks about movies and i realize my opinions on movies and the way i talked uh he's got like for instance he's got this really great thing about jackie brown like the reason it works is because you're hanging out with the characters and like so the more you watch it the more you know just what the plot is, like the second or third time around, uh, you can just like, you can start hanging out with the characters you like and it's just like a movie to hang out. Mm-hmm. And I've said that about movies ever since, just like yeah. when they're hangout movies and like that's the fun. Yeah. And I think during the f- initial meeting with him, I used that term and I'm like, I'm using the term you came <laughs> up with and giving it back to, you know. But I was in complete awe of him. I mean, he's like, the the first um, couple days we were shooting, not shooting, we we're just like prepping and like sitting around a table and having conversations. I would sit there and listen to him talk, and I I recognize like, oh, I used to when I was thirteen, fourteen, I used to stay up late to watch him on late night talk shows uh-huh. to talk, 
and I'd only get like six minutes and it'd infuriate me and cut to commercial and he'd be <laughs> gone. I was like, I want to hear him talk more. Hmm. And now here I was like sitting and just like getting to hear him. Talk. It was, it was just an incredible experience. Uh, and he's, a, it was just awesome to watch him work and it was really incredible. No, I mean, oh, go, go no, you go ahead. It's, I mean, it must be, honestly, must be fascinating to, I mean, you've worked with Chris Columbus. Mm-hmm. And Quentin Tarantino, like when I was, you know, when I was younger, Home Alone was it. Like oh, I loved yeah. it. I loved it, you know. And then as I got older, Pulp Fiction, Jackie Brown, they were it. You yeah. Know? And so like, so you've gotten to work, you know. I mean, you've no, gotten bigger roles with two, you know, huge filmmakers. I mean, that's that's got to be that's got to be almost surreal after yeah. a certain point. Just like right. Yeah, there were. You're there that were... guy that I've been talking about. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny. Yeah, when I watched Home Alone as a kid, I. This is the only person I've ever done. A lot of kids do it with, like, you know, they want to dress up like Luke Skywalker in Indiana <laughs> Jones. I wanted to dress up like Macaulay Culkin in Home Alone, and I, like... So you just w- bundled up, or...? <laughs> well, no, he had this red, like, oh, and a cable-knit right. sweater, and then, like, uh, green... No, khaki pants and, like, these brown leather shoes. And I remember I got the brown leather shoes for Christmas ones. I was like, <laughs> I'm almost there. I'm a third of the way there for my Mac look, you know? Uh-huh. And, uh... So, yeah, I wanted to, like, essentially when I was a kid, be in a Chris Columbus movie. So, when mm. I yeah, I understand what you're saying. It was, like, two guys who I really looked up to growing up to and continue to look up to. Yeah. It was very surreal, yeah. And then looking at the looking at the cast of Inglorious Bastards, I mean, there's a lot of, there's, like, you know, there's you and Sam Levine and BJ No Like, a lot mm-hmm. of people who come from comedy. Yeah. In a film that, admittedly, it... it Watching just the the trailer, it doesn't look like a heavy handed drama or anything. <laughs> yeah. It looks like a very fun movie with its you know kind of tongue in cheek at times. Yeah. Um. But like, w- do you know why he specifically seemed to approach people with a comedy background? You know what? I don't think. I think, I I don't have an answer for that. I I recognize that too. That it was like, oh, he. I mean, because I knew Sam and BJ both from the comedy world Mm -hmm. before I ever did this, like three years before I ever did it. BJ Novak was actually the first person who was like nice to me at an open mic I did. And this was pre before he was in the office and stuff. And he came up to me after an open mic and was like, Hey man, I really like you. And I was like, Oh, I think you're funny too. Like, (laughs) so we started our friendship like three years before it. Mm -hmm. So then when I got it and I was like, wait, that's a lot of comedy guys. Um, I don't have an answer for it. I mean, I I think it was probably, it might have just been one of those things. Either Quentin knew the reason he was doing it, or he was just working on instinct and and right. was was casting based on that. You know, it's kind of the opposite of uh, the casting that was just announced for the uh, the Three Stooges movie. <laughs> have you seen that? <laughs> yeah, where it's yeah. it's Jim Carrey as Curly, and it's like okay, well he's a comedic guy, and then as Mo. It's Benicio del Toro. Yeah, uh-huh. and then as Larry, it's Sean Penn. It's like. <laughs> You know, I, they're all great actors. Uh-huh. I'm sure they'll be able to pull it off. But like, and they've all just... done. I mean, Sean Penn was Piccoli, so he's done right, comedy. Right. Benicio del Toro is the funniest part of Usual Suspects. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. They, they've know, had it, comedic it, moments, but yeah, it's not uh, like when you're first sitting down to cast the Three Stooges movie. That's where your brain goes. You know. Yeah, I, I really think that anyone who's a good actor can probably deliver comedy well mm-hmm. because I, 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 th- I think I talked about this in the show before. Um, and the commentary for Serenity, Joss Whedon is talking about why uh-huh. he, why he hired. Have you seen Serenity? No. Okay. Well, he hired uh, H- Michael Hitchcock, who does a lot of the um, 
uh, oh, Christopher, Christopher Guest, Guest movies. Movie, yeah. He has a, a small but somewhat important role in the opening scene of Serenity. And in the in the commentary, he's t- Joss Whedon is talking about why he he hired a uh, a comedian. He says because comedy is the hard one. So mm-hmm. if you can do comedy, you can probably act. And so I think that's probably anyone who has real chops at acting can also see the comedy in something and bring it out. Yeah, I think like somebody who's um, look. I mean, I feel like the the funniest people are the people who are able to like observe life and like recognize mm-hmm. what's funny about it and recreate it in a performance, mm-hmm. you know. But that skill of like being able to observe and like recreate is like what a good actor does. I mean, it doesn't matter if it's comedy or, or drama. It's like that's a good skill to have. So yeah, I I think most people who are like good comic actors are probably real good act. Just you yeah. know, dramatic too. Yeah, I don't I don't I don't necessarily think that Benicio del Toro and Sean Penn could sit down and write a comedy together. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, probably. But I not. think they they should go up. And you know, go to like some open mics, <laughs> just like the three, the three of them: Jim Carrey, Sean Penn, Benicio del Toro, and just work out a routine. Start workshopping, yeah, yeah. Just see how it goes. I'd be fascinated. I'd to love see it. to see that. <laughs> but um, well, let's. Uh, well, I introduced you as actor comedian. We've talked about the actor part. Let's talk about right. the the comedy part. How did yeah. you get into comedy? Um, I uh, was doing like sketch comedy in um, in at the University of Iowa. Um, and it was like a Friday night sort of like bring your sketches and put them up in front of an audience. Uh, so I was doing that. I mean, I, I, I liked comedy a whole bunch when I was growing up and stuff, but that was kind of the first time I started writing comedy. And then I met uh, three cool dudes at uh, the University of <laughs> Iowa who all ended up moving out to L.A., mm-hmm. uh, Neil Campbell and uh, oh, Chris Dangle yeah. and Mike Cassidy. And so... The three of those guys moved out there, and I joined them. And then we had a sketch group, and we still have a sketch group called Fireball Deluxe. And uh, started doing it out here in LA, and then the UCB opened up uh, here in town, and mm-hmm. just uh, started doing a lot of comedy there. And um, I guess that's kind of where it all began. <laughs> now, um, now, what about uh, music? Because you have two musical acts that are also comedy acts that I am a huge fan of, oh, which is. Uh, <laughs> The Glass Beef and Don't Stop, and Don't Stop Her Will Die. Yeah, um, and I know the the Glass Beef recently did a show. Yeah, we did I last night. Was oh, was that last night? Yeah, I did, super I fun. Go. <laughs> <laughs> I should have gone. Big fan, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, let's start with the Glass Beef for just a second yeah. because that's you and Charlene Yee. Yeah. Who is uh, whose star is also rising right now after Sundance and her documentary, oh, and yeah. having been in Knocked Up and, and stuff mm-hmm. and on Thirty Rock. Right. So how did that? Uh, well, that started because Charlene and I, we've known each other. My first book show in Los Angeles, um, as in, like, I was doing open mics, and then somebody asked me, like, hey, there's a show with a lineup of comics. Would you like to be a part of it? Uh-huh. So, Which is, like, really exciting and a big deal, like, when you've been yeah. doing open mics for a couple months, you know? So I went to it, and I did it, and uh, it was also Charlene Yee's first night on the same oh, wow. lineup, and we met each other that night. And we were both like the two like nervous looking people like sitting in the corner at each respective corner, you know, waiting to go on. And then we met that night and both thought the other one was funny. We were kind of doing similar things, too, in terms of like not doing um, sort of like set up punchline, sort of just more kind of conceptual stuff. Mm-hmm. So I think we bonded over that. And then coincidentally, uh, we both got cast in semi pro together. Our mm-hmm. scenes are cut. Uh, but, <laughs> but you can check it out. Actually, it was funny. I uh, the, when the DVD came out, 
I was like, oh, it's it was the unrated edition. So I was like, I bet they put our scenes back in, our scene back in. I watched the movie. It wasn't. So I was like, well, I'll watch the deleted scenes. I'm sure it's in there. <laughs> was it? I was like, I'll watch the commercials, maybe. <laughs> and it wasn't. So it, it's lost uh, to time. But uh, we uh, no. So we met on not. We didn't meet on that, but we worked together on that. And we had a lot of downtime because we were there for a month. And we just started writing songs. Um, she brought her guitar, and we started writing yeah. songs. And um, we really enjoyed it. So then we formed a band called The Glass Beef, and we started performing around town and stuff. And yeah. Yeah, it's been really fun so far. I mean, she's, like, um, amazing. Like, the coolest thing about her is just that she's, like, um, it's, like, the opposite of guys like us who have, like, seen every movie uh -huh. and, like, talk about movies and quote movies. Like, she hasn't, like... It's just that hasn't been her interest is like watching a bunch of movies. She's seen movies, obviously, but like so when she is creating stuff or even like a history of comedy, it's not like she's like is a wonk about like knowing everything about comedy. So when she approaches it, it's all just like sort of like a fresh, fresh perspective on somebody who like doesn't have an a opinion on what they want to be in comedy it was just like somebody who's just like working completely freely and she's amazing i mean yeah. she's such a creative funny person so it's, it's great working with her and also i mean earlier you mentioned that like you know you guys saw each other you were both very nervous uh -huh. and the the image of charlene Yee nervous might be the most adorable thing <laughs> i could ever imagine a little lip trim lead in the <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we got to get to the topic eventually, but I want to mention yeah. Don't Stop or We'll Die because I think you guys are amazing. Oh, thanks. It, <laughs> that's the first time I ever saw you. You guys were performing at uh, the Tomorrow Show oh, uh -huh. uh, in Los Angeles, and uh, and I thought it was surprisingly good. Like, I thought, like, so, like, is this, like, a joke band or something? Oh, and then yeah. after, like, the first 30 seconds, I was like, this is actually surprisingly good. And, yeah. Uh, and, yeah, I, I Oh, thanks. Yeah, I think most people, it's, it's not because of me, uh, like, Mike Cassidy, the piano player and singer, mm -hmm. and then Harris Whittles, the drummer, they're like legitimately like talented, skilled musicians. Uh -huh. And so I think, yeah, when three goofballs come up on a stage <laughs> at a comedy show, you're kind of like, all right, this is going to be, you know, bad. Right. <laughs> and, uh, but since those guys are legitimate musicians, and I just kind of like. You're no slouch yourself. Yeah, you really my bass, it out. My, yeah, but my bass plate is like <laughs> hasn't improved since I picked it up in eighth grade. <laughs> like, so, so I'm not offering much in the, in the ways of that. But no, uh, yeah, we that started. We were just, um, I think we just were. We'd come up with like silly phrases and we'd mm -hmm. sing them, and it was like, oh, well, let's be a band. <laughs> <based laughs> on that. So, uh, is, is there anywhere people can find "Don't Stop or, or We'll Die"? We have a CD with oh, like really? five songs on it, and then we also have our uh does anybody ever go on myspace anymore but we have myspace uh <laughs> dot com slash don't stop or we'll die but for you movie fans the the name of our do you know where the the name of our uh, band comes from uh, I, does I, it ring I, any bells i've lost my credibility i don't know it sounded familiar when i first heard it it's a, it's a misheard line in uh back to the future when marty first comes back to 1955 He's trying to flag down a car, mm -hmm. and uh, I don't know if you remember, it was a car <laughs> with a, an older couple in it, <laughs> and she actually says, don't stop Orville Drive, ah. <laughs> but <laughs> I know a lot of people who've heard that line is, 
don't stop or we'll die, which is like the most insane thing to say. Kind of funnier, actually. I wish they. She thinks this young teenager is like gonna like murder them. She's pleading with her husband not to stop or they'll die. That's fantastic. Nice, nice. Yeah. Well, now the big secrets revealed, guys. So can can people get the CD from your MySpace? Yeah. uh, No, (laughs) we're not interested in (laughs) being successful or making money off this venture. Uh, No, we have them at our shows. So if you listen to them on our website, I bet, though, you could shoot us a message on MySpace and we'd work Mm -hmm. it out. It gets it's they, super cheap. I think like the CD is like five bucks. It gives the battleship pretension to stamp of approval. Oh, Absolutely. good, 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 good. So, um, <laughs> well, let's get to the like I was saying. We'll get to the topic. Uh, we'll get into it, shall we? Yeah. Um, we do uh, an artist profile, and when we whenever we have a guest, we tend to ask them what they what topic they want to talk about. Right. And one thing Paul mentioned was Steven Spielberg movies. So we thought it'd be fun to have to do a, a profile with a guest. Yeah. So we're going to talk about Steven Spielberg. And, and like, we've I'm we've already done twenty five minutes, <laughs> Sorry. which is like the longest interview <laughs> portion ever. Well, that's all right. You, you, you know, why do you have to be a part of so many interesting things? <laughs> <laughs> you know, we get it. All right. Well, let's spend just one minute on each Spielberg movie, okay. and uh, we'll be done in. Uh, well, I know some of the minutes. I know some of the people I went to minutes. film school with would be happy with that because. Uh, well, I'll, I'll get to that. Well, in a no, first, I was gonna say. I, I bet, gonna... like, is your? I love, 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 love Spielberg, and I'm happy to talk about him. But I wonder if, like, your, uh, your more, <laughs> your bigger film fans who are listening to this, like, ah, Spielberg, do we have to talk about? <laughs> like, I don't know if it's I, an exhausting topic. Is, for I, I think it's kind of like the Chris Columbus thing, where if someone's too, not not even just too successful, but too. Uh, accessible like yeah. to the mainstream there's a knee-jerk reaction among snobs to dismiss them yeah and so that is something that i think we encountered in film school which oh, i yeah. think is is bullshit i think spielberg is immensely talented yeah yeah i mean it became you know and i i i, I find myself wondering if if i went through a little bit of that perhaps in high school when everybody else would be raving about spielberg like you know the name spielberg just became it became synonymous with m- mainstream everything he right. is is mainstream um, and you know when you're a young film fan, mainstream is bad. There's yeah. no good mainstream films. Actually, mo- most of the good movies out there are probably mainstream. Um, but uh, oh yeah, I mean, there's a lot of shitty independent yeah. movies out yeah, there <laughs> that people tend to forget about. You yeah. know, and the reason that he, you know, the reason that he has continued to make, you know, to be, I mean, he's one of the few directors ever that people will know the name of. I mean, I remember mm-hmm. when I. You know, back in back in school when I would like direct like little dramatic scenes in my church or something, people would be mm-hmm. like, "You're going to be the next Spielberg." Oh yeah, they didn't say, you know they didn't say Wilder yeah. or Altman. <laughs> they <Tarkovsky>. said Spielberg. <laughs> 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 and actually, quite frankly, of all those, I'd be closest <laughs> to him with my glacial pacing. But uh, but yeah, the. You know, everybody knows him, and, and I think everybody that's what, likes his stuff. And I think that's what's fascinating about him. Like, when, if I go to a bookstore and I only see like two books written about Spielberg, I'm like, okay, I understand that he's like popular, so maybe he's not an interesting subject to write about. But I'm like, the fact that he's found a way to like tap into so many people, and his movies are so immensely popular, like that alone, like stands to reason why this person should be talked about, and like analyzed and like because he's doing something that's like that people love and that's like yeah. an interesting thing i mean it's like 
It's like, why do people like Coca-Cola and the Beatles? <laughs> like, it's like yeah. basically but the thing, uh, What makes Steven Spielberg even on a higher level than Coca-Cola and, and maybe <laughs> on a closer level to the Beatles <laughs> is well, there's something... We, Tyler, you and I were talking about Ron Howard a few episodes ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, Ron Howard is a... Uh, this is what I said. I'll, I'll, I'll repeat myself. Is that he he's essentially... He's a very competent director and he knows what to do. Mm-hmm. But he never seems to take many risks and he's not a very personal director. Yeah. Yeah. Steven Spielberg, who is completely, like I said, palatable uh, to the mainstream and very successful, is also a personal director. He makes yeah. personal films. Well, what what people don't recognize is is that from, what, when E.T. came out to 1982 to when Titanic came out or whatever, mm-hmm. for those 15 years, the most popular, the most highest-grossing movie, E.T., was, like, a director's most personal film. Yeah. yeah. It was about his childhood and, about and like, he's making a very small personal movie about his childhood. And, like, that's incredible that for 15 years in our country the highest grossing movie was like a small personal film and like Spielberg did it. And like, Mm -hmm. I don't think he gets enough credit for like making stuff that like, if it was independent, people would be like, Oh, this is amazing. But since it's popular, yeah, it's a little cooler to, you know, I I got a theory on it though. I I think people on ET, no, on like his movies. Why? I don't think, I think people slag on him like academics and, and, um, intellectuals. I think it's because he, um, he, his movies make you feel things, and I think, you know, like E.T. makes you cry, and I think in some ways, like people kind of like, I don't know, it, it weirds people out. I think to like be if somebody's making you feel that much, like yeah. emotionally, it's not cool or something, so you dismiss it because it's easier to dismiss somebody who's like making you cry rather than being like, oh, he's good at what he does, you know, like manipulator is like all I ever. That's what the people throw at words. Yeah. Like, well, what's filmmaking? Like, it's like somebody who properly manipulates, basically. You know? Well, I remember. Yeah, uh, and he, uh, I was going to say, I think this is why, uh, like, <clears throat> if you look at that sort of crop of uh, George Lucas, Coppola, Spielberg, and Scorsese are all mm-hmm. often sort of lumped mm-hmm. in together. You know, they're friends. They I'd throw De Palma in there, too. <laughs> <laughs> but are, do they, are they friends? With yeah, 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 oh, really? yeah, yeah. But I think maybe the reason that to film geeks like Scorsese is maybe still the one that who's still the golden mm-hmm. uh, golden boy or whatever is because uh, he really embraced or he really represents the film school point of view where he's sort of he's really postmodern in a way that his all of Scorsese's movies recognize that there have been movies beforehand and uh-huh. you have to understand movies to understand them in a way. Mm-hmm. And Spielberg walks a very thin line where he's able to do that but still, as you said, be sentimental and still be old-fashioned about movies yeah. while being... he's He can be postmodern without being jaded. And yeah, he does cool things in his movies where they're sort of like winks at filmmaking but, not, but also winks at his own... Mm-hmm. Like... Um, that scene in like Raiders where like he shoots the guy with a sword, that's like a funny joke about movies, you yeah. know? And about his own movie. And like the E. T. does some really awesome stuff like where he cuts his finger, right? And he um peels his Elliot's finger after he cuts it, right? Uh-huh, Which yeah. is like a super sentimental, like charged moment. But then like five minutes later he's even like parodying himself and making a joke about it by having like the he's got the brother's got a fake knife in his head for trick or treating, <laughs> uh-huh. and ET tries to heal it with his <laughs> finger. I mean, like he knows, like it's yeah. like a funny thing to like, haha, I'm having fun with my own like gimmicks and stuff. Yeah. Like, 
Um, yeah, I think that's a cool thing. Well, well, and I we usually do this somewhat chronologically. I'm kind of all right with not. Okay. Yeah, this that'll, time yeah, that'll keep it. us from going too long. <laughs> Exa- yeah. yeah. It's, <laughs> it's a practical decision more than anything, David. Um, yeah, he's, he's somebody who I remember, uh, you know, early on I had a friend who I think I think I... I think I had finished like my first year of, of film school and and uh, I was home for the summer and a friend of mine said, so like, can you watch movies the way you used to? Can you just watch them and uh-huh. let yourself forget about them? And and I said, yeah, the good ones. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, like if a movie is bad well, or purely there are some movies that I think are purely intellectual, not that they're necessarily bad. But like I I, I count I count myself as lucky that I mean, there are some that a great like a great movie can affect me in such a way that I don't I don't see the flaws. I mean, people talk about Jurassic Park as just so laden with <laughs> f- with like flaws and continuity errors. And indeed, they're there. <laughs> but I don't I don't think about them. I don't I don't see them and just and it's like, yeah, that's right. That car shouldn't be going over that big cliff because there's a T-Rex just there a moment ago. <laughs> there should right. be there should be land there. Why is there not? You know, like, but I don't care. It's yeah. an exciting sequence, and it gets you really like, it, yeah. you get really into it, and just and so like, he's just, he's such a master craftsman that he can manipulate you. You don't feel manipulated. Yeah. And what's more is, even if you're trained to like either look for flaws or just intellectualize uh, a film, he's even got those guys I- in the yeah. palm of his hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's the sign of like a skilled filmmaker if like. There are a million reasons why this should fall apart or why you mm. wouldn't believe it, but like he somehow manages to. Yeah, I've never thought about how that T Rex should be falling <laughs> off a cliff. Right? I was yeah. like, oh yeah, why is that happening? But I guess because I was so entertained, you know. But right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's something to bring it back to Scorsese, which is not the topic of our conversation. <laughs> but I remember, uh, I, I can't remember who it was him or someone talking about him to, uh, said that when it comes to editing, he's. He's he's more concerned with continuity of emotion than right. continuity errors. So in in Scorsese movies, you often see someone like smoking a cigarette, and then when it goes to the, the it goes oh to yeah, the, shot the Departed back, has that scene where and, like, like the cigarette's a different length, yeah, and, like, yeah, whatever, yeah, and like but it doesn't matter. You don't care or you don't notice because the emotion is yeah is right, and over. it's the kind of the fun of like him like breaking rules. Like yeah. it's like yeah. Why are you getting so hung up on continuity squares? Yeah. You know, it's like <laughs> basically what he's saying with that. Well, and there's a there's that uh, classic story that you can basically hear on any DVD version of Jaws, where you know uh, Spielberg wanted a big ending, you uh-huh. know, and in the book, which the book is not that good by the way, but in the book, uh, the shark gets harpooned a bunch of times, and it's got a lot of. Uh, Sorry. And it's got a lot of like barrels attached to it. And then it eventually basically kind of drowns, for lack of a better <laughs> word. And then it just sinks. The in, end. In, That's so in 100 de- pages, they describe the sinking of the right. shark to it's the just, bottom of the sea. I mean, it's like depressing. And, but, um, but Spielberg decided that like... That like no 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 that's that's not how I'm gonna end my movie yeah, that's ridiculous yeah. and so he wanted to end it with a huge explosion yeah we need to blow and that shit up because, because honestly <laughs> that's cathartic it's really cathartic yeah, yeah. I mean I'm not somebody who says like oh more explosions will do the trick but like it's very cathartic we want this we don't want this shark to just go away uh-huh. we want it to be destroyed <laughs> and so so he said okay we're gonna throw this air tank in there he's gonna shoot it <laughs> it's gonna blow up. 
And Peter Benchley was like, I don't think that's actually physically possible. <laughs> and Spielberg said, I don't care. I've had them for I've had the audience for two hours and they've been with me the whole time. They'll believe anything yeah, I want. Totally, them to. yeah. you know, like he was just he was committed to it's like, yeah, there's no way that would happen. <laughs> I just watched an episode of Mythbusters that showed it couldn't happen. <laughs> but um but like They were actually on the set that day of Jaws. <laughs> yeah, right. They do it. <laughs> it's like what are these kids doing here? Yeah, how do they um, get here? But the and why are they ruining everybody's good time? <laughs> um I like, like Mythbusters, by the <laughs> way. No, I love it. I love <laughs> it as well. Defend. But on the set of Jaws, they were real <laughs> right. jerks. Uh, excuse me, sir. Um, <laughs> but the, uh, but he just that level of commitment's like, yeah, it's not realistic. But also, it's a twenty-five foot shark that jumped on a, a guy's boat. Yeah, they well, don't do like, that. It's like yeah. when you're watching Tom and Jerry with a friend, and like. You know, Jerry will drop an anvil and the anvil will like split in half, right? And it's like, an anvil wouldn't split in half. It's like, (laughs) yeah, but a cat chases around a mouse and he lives in a perfectly uh, constructed mouse hole that he lives with a door and a doorknob. That's true, but the anvil cracking, uh, I don't stand for. But it's that level of it's that level of commitment that he brings to everything. He just he will always do what is right for the story. Always, I just said always. That's not. not <laughs> you mean not the movie? The, not always. The movie. I was gonna say, although that applies as well. Just he's made a couple movies that I don't really like that much. Yeah. Um, and and what's weird is the movies of his that I don't really respond to. They don't feel like Spielberg movies. Mm-hmm. The Lost World doesn't feel like a Spielberg <laughs> film, especially when it shows up in San Diego. You don't yeah. think he was you don't think he was saying, "Listen, I've had them for 40 minutes. They'll believe this girl can do gymnastics <laughs> in the middle of the power station." Uh, uh, see, if it had been two if he put it at the end of the movie, <laughs> right. He, if you have them for 2 hours, you can do whatever. Yeah, yeah, then you 40 can do minutes, gymnastics uh, daughter. No, thank you. Uh, no, well, yeah, I mean there's some of his stuff that like I I don't think works i mean lost world i watched recently and i was like oh this is a mess i think it's like just when i feel i think he doesn't seem personally connected to the material or something he's an interesting guy though where i read this article about him where um you know a lot of filmmakers if a movie doesn't do well they say like oh the uh, the audience misunderstood me with that one or they didn't you know i love this movie but it just didn't work well with audiences his like he does this interesting thing where, like, if a movie doesn't do well with an audience, he doesn't really – it seems to me he doesn't like the movie anymore. Hmm. And I think it's because it's part of him that's just like, I want to be the sort of P.T. Barnum, like, grand entertainer of people. Right. If it doesn't connect, then he's like, yeah, that movie was bad. That's why it didn't connect with you. <laughs> you know? So it's like that. And, like, uh, 1941 is just like – have you guys seen that? I've never it's seen one it. one long headache. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> loud and things are crowded and it's not funny. So, I mean, like – that like the Lost World are probably like my two least favorite. Uh, How do you feel about AI? Because I think that's probably his most divisive film. Mm. I I love AI. Nice, so do yeah. I. So yeah. Um, it's just you know it's one of those sci-fi movies that like you know in twenty years people will be like oh it was really good we just right, kind of yeah. like didn't. I mean the ending's funny because people always accuse the ending of being like over sentimental because like the boys reunited with his mom and stuff. And that that's like a major charge of manipulation on Spielberg's part, but like people don't. It's weird that you don't take a step back. Like that ending's like profoundly like sad. Yeah, yes, like exactly. a kid who like it's a lie that he's with his mom. It's a lie that they're reunited and that she loves. I mean, it's a sad like dark ending, but yeah. people kind of see it on the surface. It's just like little boy plays with mommy, <laughs> you know. But no, yeah, I definitely did not see it that way. But and what do they want? I mean. Don't get me wrong. I love a good downer. 
but like, <laughs> I mean, what did they really, what did they want it to be? Did they just want him to be stuck down there wishing to a, this plaster blue fairy forever? The end? Yeah, like, yeah, that's fade not out? a satisfying ending It's either. not satisfying. It, granted, if it was Kubrick, it probably could have ended yeah, that right, way because right, right, right. he's just like, uh, screw everybody. <laughs> Life doesn't have much meaning and uh, yeah, this yeah, won't yeah. either. But like, <laughs> but the fact that it, that it is allowed, that kind of, I would say the in, the ending, it's not happy, it's not sad, it's bittersweet. Yeah. And I would say that it adds to the, it really just adds to the mythology of this kid who everybody is saying is not human and yet he is more willing to follow his goals and not give up than any human. And so Uh like, so it's just for me, like it adds meaning where if it ended when people seem to think it should, it lacks all meaning. And he's not a filmmaker who makes films without meaning. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. Or like leaving you feeling like you didn't get to see like the full arc of like, you know, of an idea basically. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to think now. Oh, go ahead. David. I was just wondering if this could be a transition into the, for lack of a better word, more adult okay. Steven Spielberg, the uh, the Schindler's List and the and the Munichs and, and yeah. stuff like that. As much as I love Jaws, it's my second favorite movie of all time. I think my I think I think I might consider Munich to be his best. Really? M- Munich is my favorite of his films. Oh, too. really? That's cool. <laughs> yeah, I I like it too, but I don't hear it as a. What, what do you like about it? What's uh, I think it's it's the. M- <coughs> I think I like it because it, it seems kind of angry, and it, that's not mm-hmm. a, an emotion that he usually. Right. I'm saying, like as a, as a filmmaker, he seems angry in making Munich, and that's not something you usually get yeah. from him. Yeah, and he, and he does it uh, really well, and he he does uh, another thing. I uh, I hate to always compare him to to Ron Howard, <laughs> but like uh, I remember seeing that Ron Howard movie, The Missing, with a. Uh, Tommy Lee Jones, Jones and yeah. Clay Blanchett and uh, Evan Rachel Wood is that who's in it? Yeah. Uh, I think some trees are in it. and Aaron Eckhart's in it. <laughs> um, and like poster had some trees on it. It's kind of bluish. Yeah. Right. One thing I that blue movie. One thing. One reason that movie fell short for me is because it always it was supposed to be this like oh this like brutal depiction of of the West and what it was really like, but mm-hmm. it always seemed to pull back from being. From being brutal, you know, and one yeah. thing for all of Steven Spielberg's sentimentality, when he's made a Schindler's List or a Munich or something that is dealing with real human horror, he doesn't hold back. Like yeah. the, uh, Munich's a really disturbing movie. But yeah, very much so. I mean, you know, I I I, I don't want to talk too much about because I feel like I've been, uh, you know, monopolizing the conversation. But, uh, <laughs> but you seem you seemed kind of uh, not surprised, but uh, like you seemed. I'll use I'll use surprise. You seem kind of surprised that we love Munich as much as we do. Do you not care for Munich? Oh no, I do like Munich. All right. I just I I um I guess I just don't hear it as the as a, as a favorite. But I I I understand it. Um, and I think it is the anger thing makes sense because I think what Spielberg, the way I a lot of times view his movies is that like he kind of like picked an emotion and then decided to like make that the movie like right. it's all constructed to like get you to feel this emotion and it like more than you ever had in uh, movies before so it's like jaws is like terror and like et's love and yeah it's probably munich is like anger <laughs> you yeah. know what i mean like rage and and um vengeance you know and yeah. vengeance is an emotion right <laughs> <laughs> it can't be i mean it all depends on the person i think um but it's also kind of o- kind of open-ended like certainly more so i mean we were talking mm-hmm. before about ai 
but it's kind of open ended. And I and yeah, I feel like he's OK with it because the open endedness of it actually gives it more meaning. Because well, it's, it's the it's it's the open uh, it, it's the ambiguity that we feel right now. I mean, right. Munich in the movie is our is is like September 11th here. You right. know, it's it's no mistake. It came out shortly after. You know, not right. shortly after, but you know, in the years in the wake and of ends that. With a shot of the two towers. And yeah. The, yeah, yeah, and that's and so it's it's meant to be ambiguous because it would be uh, presumptuous and a little crass of him to try and put. And uh, to to try and resolve that emotion, yeah, right. and I do, for all I, of us, I think like filmmakers sometimes have a responsibility that if they do a m- sort of an issue movie, that they don't try to solve it with the narrative or whatever. Because what happens is the audience watches it and is like, "Oh, it got solved. It's figured out." And so you leave the movie not with a feeling of like, "How am I going to make things better?" You're just right. like, "Oh, it got fixed in the movie." So now, I, like, mm-hmm. that's my problem with um, uh, Michael Moore. Mm-hmm. Is like I think in his films he like in in a in sort of an arrogant way is like paints himself as the guy who's solving the problems for people. So when you go and you watch those movies, you leave it being like, "Oh, that fat guy Michael Moore solved my problems <laughs> for me. That's great, thanks." You know what I mean? As opposed to like going out and actually. I feel like that they feel that these audience members feel the need to classify him as, "Oh, that fat guy Michael Moore." They still know his name. They don't just say they don't say Michael Moore or the fat guy. They say that fat guy. Mike, that that fat was a little guy, bit of a guy. low blow on my part, but guys, <laughs> come on. Um, yeah, it is. It's it's one of the frustrating things about uh, Bowling for Columbine is that he asks a lot of you know he brings up the idea. It's like yeah, there's. There's uh, just as many guns in this country as there are in other countries. So why are there so many? Uh, uh-huh. Why are there so many deaths? And then it, and then it's like he doesn't give an answer, which I respect. But he still goes out of his way to blame it on the NRA. <laughs> 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 like, but uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, Munich. It's what I like is that he with that one. I'd say especially certainly more with Saving Private Ryan and, and Schindler's List and and I haven't seen Color Purple, but I have to imagine this is. Along those lines, I've actually never seen the color purple. Have you? Either that's my big. Uh, all right, I've we're re- all a bunch of racists. Actually, <laughs> I, I, hey, I've read the book twice. I've read okay. the book. I've read the book in, in high How school. many times? Because I've, I've read it twice. Uh, <laughs> I've read it zero times, so we're all covered. So <laughs> yeah, I represent times. the person who has uh, never, who knows th- that there's something called the color purple. <laughs> no, um, that's actually sort of like, as a Spielberg fan, there's someone, some that I haven't seen. I'd say like four or five, mm. and it's either because I know it's probably not going to be my thing, and I don't really feel like having to deal with like watching a guy I respect, like watch a movie that I don't like of his, you know. Mm. And then the other thing is like I think I will like it, and I'm kind of like saving my candy for later, <laughs> like you know. So I, go, <laughs> I think yeah, Code Purple and. <laughs> Here's I, I am a racist. Color purple and Amistad are the big ones that I've never seen. Hello. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> okay. So I we did know see who Amistad. you are. Right. What you're about. <laughs> um, yeah, I haven't seen Color Purple. I have seen Amistad, but I think it's only so so. So yeah, I've seen. How Amistad. do I fall there? Okay. <laughs> we we went to it. Uh, our school like we got out oh. of school and we got to go down to the theater and watch Amistad. That's an R-rated movie. Yeah. Uh, they didn't care. Guys. <laughs> That's how cool my school. Was. That's cool. That, my I, I I had to watch like super edited versions of Glory and Last of the Mohicans. Oh yeah. In my in mom, school. My mom actually she um, this is on topic of Spielberg, but no. Uh, <laughs> uh, my mom, I really wanted to see Pulp Fiction uh, uh-huh. when I was a kid, and uh, she had seen it and loved it, mm-hmm. but she was like, "It's not appropriate for a thirteen-year-old," and I begged and I begged and begged, and so she. Uh, 
This is a really sweet thing my mom did. She made like a mommy edit of Pulp Fiction. <laughs> wow. Where she got two VCRs and like dubbed it and then took out all the parts that. So like it's like really funny stuff where it's like. <laughs> Mars. Do you still have a copy of this? <laughs> I, at my ho- I talked to Quentin about it, actually. He <laughs> thought it was really funny. <laughs> uh, I wanted to find the copy just to give to him so he could. Yeah. Could, um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm looking for it. You guys, we'll we'll have our own battleship pretension <laughs> discussion about the mommy Absolutely. edit of Pulp Fiction. Yeah, I would love it. It's like 20 minutes long. <laughs> yeah. um, but what I like about but with Saving Private Ryan and and Schindler's List, I feel like. The audience goes in kind of knowing what they're going to get. Um, Munich, uh-huh. I almost feel like he kind of... I mean, it's called Munich, and that's not a very tantalizing title, but <laughs> it, it it has the trappings of, like, a thriller. And I feel right. like he kind of... Because, because it's a film that is a direct response to the times in which we're living, which his films, I would say, usually aren't... Um, it's a direct response. It's angry. It's uh-huh. open-ended. It's just, it's a very different kind of film for him. So I almost feel like he ne- he felt he needed to make it almost a genre film rather yeah. than a straightforward drama in order to kind of almost Trojan horse the meaning yeah, on yeah. people. I think, um, um, or even maybe to get a handle on, on it himself, you know, because I mean, it's, it, I think that's why I like it so much is because it's not, it, it, it's so immediate and it's so, even like I said, he's a personal filmmaker, but this feels it feels so much more personal because it's like, it's like what I was saying. Like you, Paul, you were talking about how each of his movies has an emotion that it's about. And I, what what I'm saying to reiterate, I already said this before, but anger, uh, uh, Munich is not just a film about anger. It's an angry film. Oh yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And that's that's why I think maybe he had to to even make sense of what's going on in his own head mm-hmm. to put it into this into this genre, you know, into this this structure. Like yeah. some films. Some of his films clearly like, oh, I really want to make this film. Other films, I'd say Schindler's List certainly, um, he needs to make it. Like mm-hmm. he need, you could tell he needed right. to make Munich because it doesn't, it doesn't feel like some of his other films, in the sense that it's not. I, this is going to sound insulting. I don't mean for it to. It's not wrapped up neatly. There's not a clear ending point. There's not a clear end of the character arc. Um, yeah, and it's it just, dangerous to do that too. I mean, if yeah. you made it like that, he feels fulfilled for like what he did. Right, that'd be like a really mixed message to be like, <laughs> yeah. it's good to go out and get a vengeance, yeah. <laughs> like as long people. as you're on the right side. Yeah, 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 right. And and I think it's also, I mean, one of the reasons that I I love Munich as far as talking about Spielberg is like he so badly needed to make it that, I mean, it alienated him from a lot of people in the Jewish community. A lot of people felt that he was making an anti-Israel film. Oh, right. Because, and, mm-hmm. and he tried to say, it's like, no, I, it's like, I, I love my heritage. I love my, my Judaism, but like, this is bigger than just me. This is the, people are dying on both sides. It's a horrible thing. Yeah. I need to do this. Right. I'm sorry if you, th- you know, if you really th- watch this film and, and knowing who I am and what my history is, if you really think yeah. that I'm somehow <laughs> yeah, 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 anti-Semitic, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> then you're missing the point it's a little completely. Misguided. I think is is this more serious stuff though is most successful. I think when it's like can at its heart also just be described in genre terms. You know, like I think Munich is, in my opinion, his most successful sort of like serious movie. Just because yeah. like if you don't want to deal with the serious stuff, you can just watch like. 
a movie about guys on a mission who are right. like yeah. working down a, a list of names Another and killing people. You know? Great example that we haven't talked about yet is Catch Me If You Can, mm-hmm. which is yeah. essentially just a it's like a caper movie or a chase movie, you yeah. know. But it's like it's just roiling with with emotion. There's yeah, so much yeah. going on in that movie. Yeah. That actually brings up a, another point. I was talking with a friend of the show, Jason Eakin, and we were talking about... I don't know him. You don't he, know him. He, he does, or he did. He used to do another podcast called Experts and Intermediates. Yeah. Okay. It's still available. It's very good. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, And you can always just go back and listen to our episodes. <laughs> episode 71, if you're interested. Um, I love that you remember that. <laughs> but uh, just guest episodes. Um, but the uh, we brought up a, a, an idea that Spielberg is such... His name is just his name is ten feet tall in lights. Like it's just he is such a big filmmaker uh-huh. that he has he's made some films that you're like that you forget they're I don't I forgot that the terminal was his film. <laughs> yeah. Like and catch me if you can't like unless it's a big event, it doesn't feel like one of his movies. Catch me if you can doesn't feel like an isn't an event film, nor is uh um, the terminal. The terminal. I love you. the terminal, though. Have you guys seen it? I've it's, seen it. Yeah, it's I liked it. A lot of people didn't like it. I'm. I would say I'm lukewarm on it. Yeah, for me, like it's a, it's one of his few like comedies. I think it's yeah. kind of like mm-hmm. a, you know, the most like flat out comedy next to like 1941 or something. <laughs> right. Like, uh, what I like about it is just is like an incredibly like sweet comedy, and right. you don't really see those sort of like Frank Capra esque, just like classic comedies of like yeah. Uh, it's not the humor doesn't come out of people being mean or like right. shitty or like doing gross stuff. It's just like a very like kind of classic like crisp suit comedy. Yeah. Like, yeah. so I I really I, like I think, it for that. I reason. think my only problem with it is that it feels like there should be. It's if you step back from the way he's telling the story, it's a it's a sadder story than what he's actually telling. Like, oh, if yeah. you think about what's actually going on there, like it's kind of. Yeah, and another film. There's a little bit of despair. A little bit more despair. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) But, like, it's just. I guess because I I always put his movies again. Like, he tells stories that are big stories. Like, even something like Munich, where it's very. His stories are always about the characters themselves. You know, he never loses his his, uh, focus on that. Um, Sometimes he does. Yeah, yeah. But uh, (laughs) seldom. He seldom loses his focus on that. Um, but oh, it's Hook is a piece of shit too. By the way, <laughs> we'll get there. Hang on. <laughs> I like it purely for nostalgic reasons. We had we did an episode on the role of nostalgia in appreciating film. Listen to it. I don't remember the episode number. Seventy two. <laughs> but um, I'm sorry, I interrupted. But anyway, so the uh, just uh, the stories he tells, they're always uh, they're mostly against like a a big backdrop, like Munich. It's against like the bigger story. Of oh yeah. Israel, you know, uh, Israel Palestine, like it's just right. Saving Private Ryan, Saving Private Ryan, is about even Minority guy, Report yeah. is about a, a big concept. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. War of the Worlds is huge. Jurassic Park is huge. Like Close Encounters. I mean, just even even ET, which is a, a pretty small story. Yeah, it's about an alien. Yeah, yeah. that yeah, has come to I Earth. Yeah, that's what I love about it, though. I love <laughs> that it's like a personal story, but it's also about aliens and spaceships. Yeah, you it's know? very high concept. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but like, but every once in a while, I'll run across a, a film, and I would say, "Catch me if you can," is like that, and the terminal is like that. Those, uh-huh. are the, those are the two that really stick out in my head. Where it's just, it's not against a, a, a grand canvas. It's just, it's just this little story right. that he felt like telling. Yeah, yeah. They're yeah. still good. I still like them. Right, but, but yeah, they're not like these sort of epic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I feel like they kind of get forgotten. I mean, people remember Catch Me If You Can, but I don't think 
I don't think people couch it much in the idea like that was a Steven Spielberg. Yeah, film. when yeah. Spielberg was, passes though. away on the news, right. they're not going to have slowed down black and white images <laughs> of the terminal played. <laughs> <Right. laughs> That's not going to be happening. <laughs> but perhaps they should because there's got to be a reason he made that film. Yeah, I mean, it, I think it's you know obviously it's great, but like Lost World, I mean everything about that felt almost perfunctory like yeah. it's like well i guess i gotta do this now <laughs> um but like that there's nothing in the terminal like that right. it's just clearly just felt like making a nice story yeah 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 and then a few <laughs> couple <laughs> years later he made munich right. and all that went away yeah well in between those he made war of the worlds which that's right uh is a movie that i really love two-thirds of and then i think it completely goes off the rails yeah the once they kind of get in with uh tim robbins and stuff it's I, it's yeah it's, it's right after that when uh uh who's his daughter in the movie uh dakota, dakota, dakota fanning. fanning uh when she gets like kidnapped yeah. and like brought up into the thing and suddenly he goes from being an everyman to being an action hero suddenly right. it's like i've lost my foothold in this world yeah, yeah. Uh, i'm just watching an action movie now and i was i was watching a a more personal story that was more more terrifying you know i think that it's almost because war of the worlds is uh, also has obviously september 11th um mm-hmm. echoing through it yeah and that's uh it sort of makes the mistake that munich didn't make which is by by making tom cruise into an action hero it almost does imply that this is resolvable you know we yeah. just need oh, to oh yeah, yeah you know yeah. It, it's 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 not as open-ended and, and also i don't I, I hate to say it, his son his son should not have lived like this character had to has to have lost <laughs> yeah, right. something apart from the guy who fixes and it's just his sort car. of logically yeah. baffling too. Like when yeah. he sees him at the end, it's kind of like, how did that? I don't. Yeah, understand. and how is this like four square blocks of Boston completely untouched? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like they're planning on going to Boston the whole time, as if. I mean, I guess in a crisis, maybe you just need a goal to focus on, so you're not going insane with you know the events around you. But like. They're just like, okay, we're going to make it to Boston. We're going to be all right. Boston, what makes them think Boston's going to be there? <laughs> yeah. Or the person that they're seeking is going to be alive? Like, there's no... But, but yeah, I mean, he the spectacle just, of it, and it is really frightening a lot of the time. Yeah, yeah. There's some stuff that, like, I think a lot of... I think about this stuff with um, when the gun gets passed around. Like, they have a gun, and then it gets taken from them, and then oh, later yeah. in the background you see, like, somebody shoot, and a car, like, swerves and runs mm-hmm. into people. Uh-huh. Like, I, I, when I saw that, I was like, oh, that's a really neat way to kind of look at, like, how, like, violence sort of, like, occurs and, like, what the source of it is. And it's like, somebody right. takes a gun, and then people get too out of hand. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah, that that kind of has great moments, but it as a whole film, I don't think it necessarily succeeds. You hear that, Spielberg? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he's next. You'll get cat. You know, sooner or later you're gonna get cat. Like, you know, uh, I almost said George Lucas first. That's weird. But like Francis Ford Coppola, Martin Scorsese. So- sooner or later, uh-huh. every iconic filmmaker you're gonna work with, and we're just gonna be here in my living room. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny. My I friends, don't know. I, my I, friends and I did a um, the guys who I was telling you about in Fireball Deluxe. We did a show called Before They Were Giants. And it w- takes place in the mid seventies. It was a sketch show, and we each played a different director. I was Spielberg, mm-hmm. and uh, another guy was Coppola, De Palma, and um, Scorsese. And they all live in a, it's like a teen sex comedy with those uh-huh. directors. Like they're all at a beach house <laughs> trying to get laid and stuff. But um, we were trying to w- come up with a gag of finding an actor who had worked with all four of them, and having it be that they discover like a baby who's like the actor, right? And the uh-huh. only person we figured out was um, I think Tom Cruise is the only person who. No, he hasn't done anything. Yes, he has with Scorsese. Scorsese, Color Purple, yeah. 
Coppola, The Outsiders. Or Scorsese, Color of Money. Yeah, what did I say? Color color of purple. <laughs> the Color of Purple. <laughs> the color the of billiards purple. movie set in the uh, Depression <laughs> era South. And, uh, and then Coppola, or um, De Palma, Mission Impossible, and then Spielberg. So, right. guys, Tom Cruise is the guy who works with all the, hmm. the great directors. That's Oh, and I think Matt Damon came close. Um, yeah, I'm a this is a fun game to play with friends, <laughs> yeah. guys. Yeah. Just trying to come up with the ideas to work with the most <laughs> yeah. famous um, directors. Uh, I will, I'll use uh, War of the Worlds to get to get us into one of the big th- You know, whenever somebody analyzes Spielberg, they'll mm-hmm. always talk about uh, this, which is uh, Fathers. I mean, that's oh, yeah. his big thing. Fathers, but also, as I was going through, I thought, like, men. Like, he makes movies about men. Mm-hmm. And it's often men, like accepting their responsibilities you know uh-huh. um, yeah like if you look at like even going as far back as jaws like it's a guy who kind of wants to avoid the responsibility and then ultimately he accepts it and realizes right. i need to be i'm the freaking sh- you know chief of police yeah i need to do this right you know? and he's kind of got two sides of manhood mm-hmm. as his buddies i mean there's like quint Who's like the man's man? Yeah, and then there's uh, Richard Dreyfuss's character, who's right. like the like intellectual nebbish guy, and so yeah. it's like kind of like these are the two positions of manhood you can take, and <laughs> like uh, he seems to be like maybe a combo of the two. But no, I, I it it's interesting the sort of men taking their response taking responsibility because like in Close Encounters, like it's somebody who denies responsibility, right. and like gets on a spaceship and abandons. Uh-huh. Like when you watch that movie, you're like, wait, he's leaving his wife and kids basically right. to like yeah. hang out with aliens for the rest <laughs> of his life. Yeah. But um, Spielberg, I mean, even though I lo- like movies like that he's made recently, like, like Minority Report and um, Terminal and AI, like those are all movies that I feel like he's still making great movies. Mm-hmm. But I would say that like his movies, interestingly enough, I feel like become less interesting after he became a father. Because I feel like those first movies, like Close Encounters and Jaws and certainly E.T., are kind of like movies that are like have complicated relationships with fathers and men and manifest in the movies in an interesting way. And then after E.T., he became a dad himself. And I feel like a lot of his movies after that are sort of like making excuses and like for bad fatherhood, bad fathers and like... Hmm. Maybe it's just because he's becoming more like he's a father, so he understands yeah. that you know it's a lot. Yeah. You need to be sympathetic towards dads, but I like it when he's mad at dads. You know, like I think that's yeah. more interesting. Yeah. He's, he's so like said you have stuff in like Last make... Crusade that's like all about yeah, like reconnecting yeah. with dad, and like that's not. I don't know. Maybe I just like people being in conflict more, <laughs> like figuring their shit out or something. Yeah. But like, what are you a jerk or something? <laughs> I don't but he's that's... he said that there's no way he can make Close Encounters now. Like, yeah, right. Or, or he can't like make it the way it was. Yeah, it would be the guy being like, "Sorry, aliens. <laughs> yeah. I got a this whole <laughs> I gotta change thing diapers <laughs> over here." Um, and yeah, actually, and and okay, so yeah, Hook is not very good. We all know it. <laughs> I grew up with it. I love everything Peter Pan, and I think that Captain Hook is one of the most amazing characters ever. <laughs> okay, that okay. said, it does it does very much fit in with the whole father thing. I mean, yeah. you know, there's this character who has who was the who was the embodiment of free spirited childhood he uh, forgets all about it his own children's exi- his, children's his own children exhibit 
that mm-hmm. and yeah. he just has scorn for it and doesn't have any time for uh, it and then it's it's him learning how to relate to his children and yeah. that sort of thing and so it's just unfortunately just not that <laughs> good of a movie slight tangent did you guys ever see the the more recent peter pan movie with jason isaacs as oh, it's no. great it's yeah. really good i heard it was great but yeah. i never people like so. were trying to yeah well it's <laughs> funny because when i w- was watching hook i was like i just wish he would have made like a peter pan movie like right i don't kind of need the like early 90s like dad's becoming learning how to be sensitive dudes sort of stuff like that's just like not which is <laughs> to me but there are great things like i saw i went to the planet hollywood restaurant in vegas mm-hmm. yeah guys i'm that cool <laughs> when i go to las vegas i rock out at a uh, planet hollywood but they have the model or the like fake dummy setup for the kid the fat kid who Throws his oh. feet over his shoulders oh, and rolls yeah. down the a ball. The thing that's obviously a model. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They have the actual model, like uh, in glass. It was like uh, that is a, weird a beautiful moment. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh yeah, here's the uh, you know here's the costume from Clockwork Orange with the bowler hat. And over here, you'll find the 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 fat black kid who <laughs> rolls who a holds ball up, yeah. and knocks some guys over. <laughs> Um, so I'm trying to think, I'm well, trying to see. We haven't really talked about Saving Private Ryan. Absolutely, yeah, because yeah. Because right. I, <laughs> okay, well, you know what, that's, uh, uh, yeah, let's talk about Saving Private Ryan for a second. Okay. All right. <laughs> uh, I was going to say we should take a break, but we don't really do that, do we? No, we don't. Okay. I'm going to use the bathroom. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, no, David, yeah, I let's, let's talk. Um, it's, uh, it's a movie that, uh. I, I certainly loved it when I first saw it, and mm. I, and I still love it now on its own terms, but I have problems with it. What are your problems, David? Because it's not as it's not as honest a film as uh, as Munich, right. or even as Schindler's List. I mean, Schindler's List has sentimentality in it, but it's still honest. Mm. And Seven Private Ryan has the opening, like the first twenty minutes, yeah, uh, which is brutal. Yeah, and then it it just has it, it's too glorifying. I think not of not of war. It's not okay. I'm not saying it's glorifying war, but it's 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 too easy to take the sort of like uh, greatest generation tack, you know. Which I mean, both my grandfathers fought, and they right. Uh, I have nothing but respect for the fact that they did so, but it's a little too easy uh, to swallow. Uh, the, so much of World War Two is has been made way too easy for us to swallow. Yeah, I mean, it would like if you if you take the story itself, not the style in which it was made. <laughs> I'm sorry, everybody. Um, my cat is using Paul's mic. Um, but the if you take just the story itself, not the style, it could have been made in 1940. You know, uh, or yeah. not, but like it could have been made during that time when when it was not kind of a simpler time in filmmaking where everything was uh, a lot more black and white. Um, like, the story itself and the character archetypes and all that, it's just, it's it does feel, like, the grittiness of it certainly helps to ground it in reality a bit more, but the story itself is very movie. It's very movie-ish. Um, yeah, having to go and rescue a guy, basically. You're talking about saving forever, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I was. Uh, I don't necessarily need to reiterate because the listeners didn't miss any of this, but right. ju- just that it uh, it it makes uh, it makes World War Two a little too easy to swallow by by glorifying right. every single person who 
who participated in it. Right. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it. World War Two has been as when people look back on it, and I myself have said this even on the show. I think um, that that people view it as as from the American side, it just the most obviously right and wrong kind of war where it's like right. oh these guys are clearly uh, the bad guys we are clearly the good yeah. guys but as a movie you know as as other movies like judgment at nuremberg have shown us like and eh, the bad guys weren't even all that bad and well the, it, it, it is in essence they were still human is what you're right saying. exactly exactly yeah. they weren't monsters you know it's entirely possible to get where they got if you don't pay close enough attention yeah yeah to uh the direction your country is going um but uh but yeah from a from a like there, are you condoning Nazism? Is that <laughs> you know, kind of actually. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying. You know, I don't want to offend anybody, but uh, you know, whatever works for you. I don't. I don't judge. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting that uh, that Saving Private Ryan did not win Best Picture. Um, it won like director. It won a bunch of technical yeah, awards yeah. that yeah. it should have won. I, I'm fine with it winning it's, Best Director. It's both interesting and kind of dumb. I like I like Shakespeare in Love, but come on. Yeah. Well, th- yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, this one's the bigger spectacle, and people like it a lot more. <laughs> what else was up that year? <laughs> Thin Red Line. Thin Red Line was that year. Oh, yeah. was yeah, that's right. Speaking of a World War II film that's incredibly complex and you right, know, and it shows that I mean, it, it's I don't want to say that Thin Red Line is unpatriotic, but it shows yeah. the American soldiers as being scared. Yeah, and not always competent, and not always in the right, and not yeah. always patriotic. Yeah, and if if we could have had some of those characters in Saving Private Ryan, I think it would have been a, a closer to perfect movie. Yeah, it's and in uh, yeah, as a part of of uh, Spielberg's you know um, career, it really uh, it's like the height of craftsmanship. Mm-hmm. But it and it's a shame that it's like oh in service of this story yeah that yeah. is a shame I don't know what it is about that but I only saw it once in the theater uh-huh. and I there's something about it that I don't I'm not compelled to go and revisit for some reason I I thought it was a fine movie you know but yeah. it was just like I feel like aside from just appreciating the way it was made you you kind of get all you can get from the first movie. yeah like Munich I mean the more you watch it the more complex it is right right um. And there's just so many layers to it. But, like, Saving Private Ryan, I was like, okay, I saw it. And it was kind of wrapped up somewhat neatly. And, I mean, yeah. it certainly is not easy to watch. Yeah. Um, but, you, I, yeah, I mean, I own it, but I don't really feel the need to revisit it that mm-hmm. much. When I saw Saving Private Ryan <laughs> uh, in the theater, uh-huh. uh, like, I was hanging out with my friend. And at his house, we had found this old tape of Ren and Stimpy-like songs uh-huh. that he had from when he was a kid. So we put it in his, like, in the tape deck <laughs> in the car. And we were like having fun, laughing, singing along, whatever. Which we saw Saving Private Ryan and came out like we hadn't said a word from the movie theater <laughs> to the car, just like uh, so maudlin uh, and had forgotten. And he started like we haven't said a word. And he starts the car and it's like happy, happy, joy, joy. <laughs> <laughs> the best uh, contradiction of uh, audience member behavior and the movie I just saw was um, Titanic. Which was, you know, the the movie, the ultimate sacrifice is that he stays in the cold water so she can stay on the raft and live, right? Like, what a great guy that he was able to do this, right? That's what you're supposed to take away from the movie. And I lived in Iowa at the time, and um, I went with my girlfriend, 
and we were getting in the car and I look across the parking lot and uh, there's a guy, it's dead of winter at like 1am <laughs> and this asshole is like sitting in the car, like staying warm while his girlfriend's outside <laughs> scraping the windshield. I was like, you learned nothing from that movie. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> there's great. even the cold element too. Yeah, that's yeah, great. It perfectly. And um, then she floated away and died. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now I have not seen Schindler's List in years and years. Yeah. I mean, there's there's really only a handful of scenes that I remember. I haven't seen probably over ten years. Um, yeah, me too. But uh, I remember just being incredibly powerful, and and there's that story of Spielberg so just so wanted to tell this story that I believe he. Well, he had to be paid contractually, but he wound up just all the money that he personally made. He just like donated to uh, like a Jewish charity of some sort, huh. and um, and it's just I don't know how he lived off how he had a career if he gave up that money. <laughs> I know <laughs> he was been at the poorhouse for a couple of years. Yeah. After that. <laughs> um, but well, he made Jurassic Park the same. Year, oh, good. Okay. He, well, then it, good, good, good. I was a little worried that Spielberg might ins- not have enough money. Perhaps he insisted that the producers of Jurassic Park cover his losses from Schindler's <laughs> List. But uh, that'd be that'd be awesome. But uh, David, when was the last time you saw Schindler's List? It's more recently. I'd say probably four years ago, four or okay. five years ago. And when they they put out like a new DVD, and I I bought it. That's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Um. And and I'd say that one just it really. It brings together a lot of the elements of of Spielberg that uh, that we've been talking about, like stylistically, of course, just his decision to shoot it in black and white, mm-hmm. except for a few things here and there, and of course, the things that he chooses to not be in black and white are have a great deal of of meaning. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, without being sappy, which is uh, right, yeah, which uh, is a pretty big yeah. yeah, and it had all the potential to be sappy, just that you know the coat and all that, um, but also it's. The film is made so much better because, as David, as you said, it's unflinching. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, you know. It but at the shows same time, you. he uses his sentimentality to good purpose in that mm-hmm. because it's, it's, it, it would be possible to make a Holocaust movie that's so unflinching that it's numbing, right? You know, whereas he in oh, a, yeah, in yeah. every atrocity that he depicts and every horrible act, he has the human element still, and it's it's still mm-hmm. it it still gets you in the gut because yeah. he he's he's still that that humanist. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, by the end, uh, you have a man who realizes that, like, yeah, I did some good stuff, but I didn't do everything I could have because it could have been, it might have endangered me, or I would have had to make a greater sacrifice. Like, and just, and you get that scene that that is possibly the cheesiest one in the movie, but it's sold really well. I think it's, I think it's like a. Sh- a shark in the air tank thing like yeah. it's a cheesy scene but he's had us for at that point like three hours yeah and i buy that that scene makes me cry every time yeah, yeah. it's a brutal three hours and so it's just like yeah let's just get some somebody <laughs> talking about how horrible all this was because yeah, uh, yeah, i don't yeah. want to be the only one saying this <laughs> i want them to know how awful this was right um and and there's great acting in there as well but it's just it really brings together some people might be inclined to say that that Schindler's List is is his best film. Um, I still think it's Munich, but Schindler's List is really just it's just wonderful in every way. I can't really think of any major f- any yeah. major flaw. E.T.'s my favorite. That's my favorite. Silver <laughs> it's great. I love that. That's I saw E.T. Uh, you know when I was a kid, and then I didn't see it for years and years. And again, that film school mentality came up, and I remember thinking like, E.T. Yeah, all right. And then I saw it. 
in uh, uh, Grant Park in Chicago and the movies oh. in the park thing in the summer. Fun. And it was wonderful. Yeah. I love E.T. Yeah, yeah. It's absolutely astounding. Yeah. And and so sentimental. Like, that's that's one of the great things about Spielberg is, like, everything that could be bad in film, like, spectacle, bombastic music, <laughs> sentimentality, he usually, not all the time, but he usually employs each of them just the right amount that you're just with them completely. Yeah, you're absolutely on board. Off. And you can see how it's not pulled off by like the people who rip them off. You know, it's right. funny. I was yeah. t- before we started this. I was telling you guys how I watched uh, old Goosebumps episodes last, <laughs> right. last night, <laughs> and like it was a monster who attacks like a brother and a sister, right? Mm-hmm. And it was. Obviously, it was just based on the Raptors and Jurassic Park. Like, it was doing the thing where, like, the door is closing, it sticks its head in right before. <laughs> like, it made a sound like that was exactly like a Raptor. <laughs> but uh, it, what's interesting about it is that, like, that's how much... Well, so, anyway, when you see that, you're like, okay, I see how Spielberg's great because this sucks, and but, mm-hmm. like, they're trying to ape it, you know? But in general, that's what boggles my mind about Spielberg is just, like, his style as, like permeated in everything like yeah video games and mm-hmm. like the way st- like tv shows and or you go into a museum and a museum kind of has to like up the spectacle so they kind of like use spielberg like <laughs> lighting yeah. Yeah. effects and stuff you know it's incredible that a guy who like main movie is also kind of like just created aesthetic unto itself that yeah people yeah. you know that's i know some people don't like that about but i think it's like cool that like a filmmaker had that much yeah you know pull um, well, we've talked about we didn't go chronologically. We talked about almost everything except for really we didn't really talk about the Indiana Jones movies very much. Oh, that's true. We mentioned them. I guess we should probably talk about it. <laughs> um, yeah, I uh, guess so. <laughs> well, it's funny. Like it's like a it's not so much like this, but like a Star Wars conversation. Like I'll be at a party and somebody will bring up Star Wars, and I'm like, I am sick of talking about Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, but I gotta share my opinions. Yeah. <laughs> like, it'll be like a thirty minute. I was like, I didn't even want to talk about this. <laughs> it's, there, I mean, there's so much, there's so much fun. The first one especially, and I like Temple of Doom. Last mm-hmm. Crusade, I, I stopped liking. I, I still like it, but I stopped loving it. Um, yeah, me too. A few years recently. ago, I don't know what it was. I used to love it when I was a kid. Um, I think the set pieces are still good. I think it's. How it hangs as a movie in a, as a whole just doesn't like. Yeah, that's one for me that I I haven't seen in yeah. forever. I just oh, you've never I, seen period. I've seen it. Oh, but yeah. I haven't. Uh, yeah, I still have only great memories of it because I like when he sticks the rod in the guy's motorcycle <laughs> and the guy flips in the air. Like, well, for focusing on the positive, like <laughs> Raiders of the Lost Ark is like an amazing. Yeah. Inc- yeah. Like the the span from like Jaws to like E. T. is like, in my opinion, there's no greater like. No directors had a greater like run of like yeah. awesome yeah. movies. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Raiders is great. Like <laughs> you watch it with people, and like the whole time you're like, "This movie's great. <laughs> yeah. It's so much fun." <laughs> and it's you know, and I, I'm I'm actually thinking of like some of the stuff that that you said about him him becoming a father and how that kind of made things not worse, but just it changed things a little bit. Yeah. So like if you look at Raiders, and then you look at Last Crusade. You definitely, certainly because of the incorporation of the of, of a the father, dad, yeah. but also just like, like Raiders of the Lost Ark is like, like balls out, like just a guy gets chopped up in a propeller, yeah. people's faces melt, like people get shot, I mean a monkey gets poisoned, like a lot of stuff that's like just not, 
not that it's gritty. It's it's a lot of fun, but it's just like it's really like. There's a period there brutal. where I think like Spielberg was interested in kind of just like making things a little more dark, and uh, I think a lot of and rightfully people think like, oh, Schindler's List and like Saving Private Ryan, those are kind of like the dark Munich, mm-hmm. but like. Movies like Raiders and Temple of the Doom and like Poltergeist and Gremlins, like mm-hmm. yeah. movies he produced too or came up with the story, like those are like gory, weird. Like I went to Poltergeist a couple of weeks ago. They had it at the, the Galleria, the Arclight mm-hmm. Galleria. And like oh, really? there's a scene where a guy like pulls off his yeah, face and yeah. stuff and is like, this shouldn't be PG rated for family. And a tree eats a child. <laughs> Yeah, yeah I mean, right, right. <laughs> yeah, Poltergeist is one of my all-time favorites. And oh, it's crazy awesome. Talking about, movie. like, the whole father thing, like, yeah. Craig T. Nelson is, like, the most ineffectual dad through the whole movie. He's, like, constantly screwing stuff up. He drops the rope at the end and brings the monster to the house. Yeah. <laughs> and the mom's, like, this cool, like, pot-smoking hippie mom who, like, yeah. loves her kid. Like, yeah. there's definitely, like, in his early movies at least, like, Moms are awesome. Dads are kind of like you know not so awesome. Yeah. Speaking of puzzle guys, did you guys see that direct TV commercial? Where yeah, that was a little weird. That's huh? creepy, right? Did you see that? Mm-mm. Have you seen the direct TV? You've probably seen some of them, like the William Shatner one, where they like incorporate the actor into like footage from his favorite. I saw like, a Back to the Future one and one from Misery. There's a Misery one. Yeah, yeah. Misery. Yeah. But there's the Poltergeist one where it's Craig T. Nelson interacting in the scene with the girl who's now dead. Uh, yeah, it's a little... And they're selling TVs? Or yeah, whatever. and, like, it's about her getting sucked into the TV. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't even know why DirecTV would be like, get our service, it'll suck your children into a world of ghosts. <laughs> How like, do you, like, does Craig T. Nelson can't need the money that bad, he's... Hey, man, it's Mr. we're Incredible. all putting ourselves through Ferrari. <laughs> um, he's got to have some scruples about... Doing that scene to, to hawk. I th- when I saw it, I was like, "Oh, whoa! This is very." Because uh, that's it's not just like at first I thought it was a coach, homage. Uh, <laughs> but it's it's not like someone interacting with uh, you know Orville Redenbacher or someone they never knew who's right. dead. Like this is he knew her when she was a girl. Yeah. She's dead now. <laughs> yeah, and he's using her likeness to sell. I thought whatever. about that shoot. Actually, I was like, "What was the tone, the mood yeah. on the set that day?" Where I was kind of like, "Well, you ready to?" Talk to that girl you knew who's dead now? <laughs> yep. <laughs> what a fun day on the set. <laughs> it's just like, uh, Mr. Nelson, st- please stop crying. We need to, <laughs> we need to shoot. Um, but, uh, but yeah, to get back to uh, Indiana Jones, like, you know, the fr- uh, Raiders and Temple of Doom are so dark. Uh-huh. And then Last Crusade comes along, and it's kind of dark. I mean, the way the, the villain dies at the end. But, like, it's much more light. It's yeah, you know, it's yeah. lighthearted and it's uh-huh. just kind of goofy. Like one of the reasons that I hated is what what they did to the character of Marcus, who in the first oh, yeah. film is like he's like smart. He's and almost sensitive. like a father figure. Yeah, yeah. He's smart and sensitive, and then he just turns into this stupid comic relief. Of they sorts. had to do it. It makes sense though because now Sean Connery's the father figure. So right. it's like, what do we do with Marcus? Then I guess we'll just make him the yeah. Boob, How about you know? just don't have him rather than completely <laughs> disgrace the memory yeah. of this otherwise neat character. Right. Th- doesn't yeah. he like stab a guy with a pen and go, the pen is mightier than the sword? <laughs> he doesn't even stab him. That is something from Raiders. Like, I mean, that that would right. that's would something, something that would happen like, there. Yeah. No, he just squirts him with ink. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. This movie is not as good as I remember. Right, and the, then, and the then a v- pen is mightier than the sword is from the same summer with Batman. Uh, Joker 
Jack Nicholson Joker yeah. pokes a guy in the neck with right. a pen. Oh, yeah. But the thing is, they came out at the same time, and we both bought movies on VHS, those two movies. And they taught me that expression, the pen is by the sword, because <laughs> they were both movies. Like, what? All right. By which, of course, and you're just like, so I guess I just got to start stabbing people Well, with and pens. it seemed literal. Like, <laughs> I, like, that's what I learned. And I was like, yeah, I guess you can take out a guy with a pen more than a sword. Right. Nobody walks and my around mom's with like, swords no, anymore. you can write. You can write a very articulate message with a pen, and that's how you attack people. I'm like, I don't know. Joker really plunges into that guy's neck there. <laughs> All right. I think we should uh, yeah. start wrapping up here. Yeah. Um, but, of course, did you uh, this see— This is actually the length of uh, 1941. So oh, nice. <laughs> it's like a Dark Side of the Moon and Wizard of Oz. You can play this, and it perfectly corresponds. <laughs> right. with... That would be fascinating. I think those are called audio commentary tracks. <laughs> I realize it does. We, uh, we always wanted to record a, a commentary commentary track of the two of us that people could play with a certain movie well doesn't xbox do that now i think xbox has this thing that you can record tracks for movies and i want directors to start doing commentary tracks for movies they like and talk about i think that'd be like really cool you hear that director (laughs) get on that so i have something to do there's got yeah there's got to be also uh, it seems like there'd be a lot of copyright issues somehow with that yeah um break them now, did you see? Uh, I know David didn't, but did you see? Because uh, why? Why wouldn't we end this on a really negative note? <laughs> did you see Kingdom of the Crystal Skull? Yes. What'd you think? Uh, I liked it a lot. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Me, well, it's just like no. I went. I got a big bag of popcorn. <laughs> like I just sat there and enjoyed. I was actually it was the last day of shoot. It was after my last day of shooting of um, I Love You, Beth Cooper, mm-hmm. and it was a, I was happy and like the movie was really fun to do. And so the next day I had off and I went to a Vancouver movie theater and I sat down and I watched King of the Crystal Skull. The first time I watched it, I didn't. I was so caught up in am I liking this or not? Like I couldn't like just Uh enjoy the movie. I was just like, is this bad? Is this good? And then uh, the second time I went to it, I had a good time. But I I know it's got its detractors and I understand that. But it just seems like such a different film than the first three. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It's just visually looks different it's much more reliant on computer effects i think that's what bummed me out the most it's just like there was some stuff that was unnecessarily like cgi like waterfalls and stuff i was like what like yeah you don't need it and also my main problem with crystal skull was like i think they wanted it to like be that uh that the reveal is that it's aliens but from the beginning of the movie, you're like, oh, that's an alien, right? Like, So yeah. I don't know. Like The whole time, you're just kind of waiting around for other people to get it. It's sort of a <laughs> frustrating movie to watch. We're like, hey, everybody, it's aliens. Come on. Yeah, yeah. and it's just uh, – yeah, and, and honestly, like I know that everybody said like, oh, you know, uh, they, just w- they were waiting for the right script to come along. Um, yeah. But honestly, like I look at like – Kingdom of the Crystal Skull in the same way as I look at like the Lost World. I feel like somehow he felt like he had to do it for yeah. his buddy George or something like that. Right, right, right. Because um, it just it does feel way more like a George Lucas film than a than a Steven Spielberg. Yeah. Well, by that it meaning, uh, it's a mess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I I can enjoy it for the set pieces and like the performances and just like the yeah. nostalgia trip of it, you know, but. And it does revisit the father issue, only this time in a different way. Yeah, he's way. the father in Indiana yeah. Jones, right? Yeah. But, yeah, it's it's a shame. I, I don't I don't know what uh, what is what does he have coming out uh, in, in the future. I think I he's working he's on that Tintin Abraham. movie. Oh, right. Oh, yeah. that's right. Wasn't he, wasn't he doing an Abraham Lincoln movie at some point? Oh, yeah. I heard, yeah. But, yeah, um, I think Tintin is up next. He's doing, like, mocap. Motion capture, isn't uh, he? Okay. I don't know if he's doing the whole. I don't know if he's doing going okay. the Zemeckis route and making the whole movie, but uh, 
I know there's a lot of motion capture involved. I'm actually the lamp. <laughs> I'm doing motion capture <laughs> awesome. for all the lamps and Tintin guys. I'm really excited. <laughs> um, but the uh, what what I what I will say is even though I didn't like Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, I'd say Spielberg perhaps more than than a lot of filmmakers that I like. He's somebody who he can have like a what I view as a very large misstep, uh. Uh, and I he, like his name is definitely enough. To, do, to draw me to a film. Oh, yeah. Right. You always forgive him, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah. like, even something like War of the Worlds, which I didn't, I went into not expecting to like, and it's like, right, I forgot. This is a Spielberg film, and it's really great. Yeah, there's going to be always some really awesome moment. Right. You can, like, hang There'll your hat on be you. at least something, at least <laughs> one thing that you like. But, uh, all right, well, okay. we've been going for a while, yes. David. So and uh, I have to go to the bathroom now. So let's just wrap this as up. Do, as do I. We're gonna have to race. <laughs> well, I had a great time. Uh, well, yeah. Thanks for show, coming. Guys. Now, uh, do you have a website? Like, is there a place people can uh, can reach you? Uh, PaulRust.com. Okay, you can go check that out. And right. uh, I love you, Beth Cooper. Comes out in in July. Uh-huh. Whoa, uh huh. <laughs> July tenth, and uh, yeah, and uh, there was a guy outside. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He my, made a funny my sound. My noisy neighbor. Like, <laughs> are you having some falafel delivered? It sounds like there would be a <laughs> oh, shoot, delivery guy outside. But no, yeah, it comes out July 10th and, and Glorious Bastards August 21st. Okay. All right. Very exciting. Looking forward to, to seeing them both. Paul, thanks for being on thanks, the show. Thanks, guys. And Thank we'll get you. you guys next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.